passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, YouTube. How are you all doing? Welcome to the Cafe Hangout. Good to be here. Yeah, we're live. Hello, hello, everybody. Hey, uh, Chris. Hey, Eric. Hey, Brandon. Hello, chat room. Um, do we sound fine? I'm always super paranoid every time we start off. Because Please give way the thumbs up emoji oh, or something that can just put his mind at ease. Yeah. Okay. So, um... What's up, John? How you doing? Nice shirt. It's a sweater. Yes. Uh, let's let the camera see, please. Look at this. I was I was very excited when Way brought this here on this Thursday. Look at this. That is a design from uh, our good friend Warren Isles. Uh, we had wanted actually to put this up in the store in time for Christmas, but because of uh, the Canada post strike, um, the samplings. The samples were delayed very much, so uh, by the time that I got them this week, I don't think I can put them up on the store and have people get it in time for Christmas. So we'll save it for next year. But John, you have the one world's first and only edition, limited edition. Yeah, congratulations. I like your toque. Uh, thank you very much. So speaking of which, also from the post wrestling store. Bear yes. with us. This is our advertising budget. Well, no, well, we get excited because we get these in the mail. You know, and uh, we get to see him for the first time, just as everybody else. But I'm, we're fans I'm of ourselves too. too. There's nothing wrong with. Oh that. my God! Look at all this! Look at all this shit that we have. The vanity. It's oh, wonderful. we are such vain people. I know. Uh, but yeah, John, what are we uh, here to talk about this week? Well, we're going to talk about uh, some of the latest news. I definitely want to talk about uh, the passing of Dynamite Kid, and also news just coming out: uh, Larry Hennig, the father of Kurt Hennig, passing away at the age of 82. Uh, grandfather of curtis axel. grandfather of curtis axel as well we can chat about him as well and other news that is going on the xfl has announced the eight cities and held a press conference on wednesday uh, we're getting to the end of the new japan world tag league there's a big story going on in the in the world of mixed martial arts involving greg hardy and being booked onto a card, the same card as uh, rachel ostovich those that are familiar hmm. greg hardy was uh, arrested and he was found guilty of assault against an ex-girlfriend back in 2014. He was found guilty of these charges. And then when he appealed uh, requesting a jury trial, uh, the woman in question did not show up and therefore the charges were dropped and then later expunged from his record. But it's something that definitely uh, he, he carries with him and booking Greg Hardy in and of itself has been uh, controversial to put him on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Now they're booking him on the same card as Rachel Ostovich, who has recently just attacked, suffered a broken orbital bone, believed to be at the hands of her husband, who's also an MMA fighter. And the idea of having these two on the same card, I think it's going to draw horrendous publicity mm -hmm. for the show. And our friend Aaron Bronstetter just interviewed Dana White today, who stated that he's staying on the card. He ran this by Rachel Ostovich. She's fine with him being on the card and said that he didn't do anything to me. So she's on board with it. Mm. Um, do you quickly, uh, we can just start there. I mean, do you have any feelings? I'm very much against the idea of at, at the very base of it, even if you believe Greg Hardy deserves a second chance that he can be booked to, to fight. I just think the idea of putting them on the same card, I think it's just a bad business move that that is a it's happening in brooklyn so mm -hmm. you're gonna have a lot of media on this story and that's going to be your first impression on espn uh and this is happening on an espn plus platform that to me becomes the dominating story that is going to supersede any of the fights that are happening on this card it's going to be look what the ufc is promoting 
on this card with Greg Hardy and a victim of domestic violence. Well, the fact that I think you consider this to be a big enough story to to even mention, you know, right now, it suggests to me that a lot of people probably feel like it's 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 at the top of their minds when when they're talking about this card. And that's that to me, if I was the UFC, would be the biggest thing that I would be looking at and is is is, you know, is it worth it getting this, you know, relative unknown on this show uh, at the risk of, you know, hurting your your public uh, perception? I don't know enough about the story to really kind of, you know, say whether or not I, I feel he should be on, on the card. Um, and it's, it's, you know, without, without knowing more more of the details, I don't feel qualified to, but just from a PR perspective, I, 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 I guess it's, it's certainly questionable. It just seems that it's, you run so many cards and I know this Brooklyn card, they want a lot mm-hmm. and they're scrambling. They've just moved. Um, they're running a card the next weekend in Anaheim, a pay-per-view. And they have just plucked the title fight between Henry Cejudo and TJ Dillashaw to headline this Brooklyn card. So they are just scrambling for fights to Mm -hmm. fill up. So I see that pressure that they just want to put as much as they can. And to me, though, Greg Hardy, he could fight the next weekend. He could fight another one. And that's not going to eliminate scrutiny. I think there will still be some that question uh, putting Greg Hardy on such a platform. Uh, he's, He's very you know, polarizing figure because of that, that history of, of domestic abuse, but putting it on the same card as this woman who was originally going to miss this card because of Mm -hmm. domestic violence. I just think it's, it's drawing such awful attention and, and it's just, it it almost gets away from just whether you feel it's right or wrong. If you're just selfishly looking at it from a business perspective for the UFC, I think they're just putting themselves in the line of fire for so many questions they'll receive that week from mainstream outlets covering this and what kind of message you're sending by such contradictory figures uh, being placed on a, on a card. So I, I, I don't rule out the idea that they may just eventually acquiesce and move Greg Hardy to another card, but Dana White seems to say no. He's he's staying on this card. We're going ahead. It seems like um, it seems like a, a stubborn move. It's kind of reminiscent of kind of a move Vince McMahon would make. Few of the guys in the chat room. I know a lot of you are MMA fans, and uh, some some of the, you guys have some comments on the issue. Eric Marcote says, "My own opinion: You can't go half in, half out with Greg Hardy. You either have to say we don't want to be involved with someone of this character, or you have to say we're looking past this." And I I don't completely disagree with that. I I feel that it would be significantly less because he has done several fights on fight pass now on Dana White's contender series that has drawn some criticism. I just think it would be significantly less if you didn't have Rachel Ostevich on the same card. Mm -hmm. I think you're just amplifying it and you're calling attention to it as opposed to being able to say, Hey, we're trying to give this guy a second chance and whatever, you want to uh, use to to defend the guy uh, for trying to make a living. But I, I, I just think that the general public is not going to uh, decipher the two when you, when you've got just such a contradiction on one fight card. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of merit to Eric's point about they are opting to promote Greg Hardy and they're now in the Greg Hardy business and this, that baggage comes with it. And they knew that. Brandon wants to know who, who's currently booking the UFC besides McMahon and, Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby are still the primary matchmakers. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that when you're looking at 550 to 600 fighters, that it's kind of insane that it's two matchmakers Mm -hmm. that this comes down to. Um, I know Hunter Campbell, who is one of their main lawyers, um, sometimes will also get involved in in some of uh, different contract negotiations and making fights and stuff like that. But the two official matchmakers are still Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby since Joe Silva left. Brandon D says, I think if she doesn't have a problem with it, her opinion is the only one that matters if they are giving this guy a shot. Um, I don't think that again, I'm just stating like what message does this send? Uh, Rachel Ostovich. Is she also in a position to be saying, no, I don't want him on this card. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if she's fine with it, good for her that's that's fine but i think that you're just you're crazy if you don't think this is going to be a major story uh leading into this card that i don't think that's the attention they want that they are bringing upon themselves yeah yeah or do you think that in some level they're afraid of the backlash that they would receive for taking him off the card when you know uh, if somebody like rachel ostovich saying that she's okay with it 
I don't see backlash to that decision, but I, I think overall they they are going to have to get used to this if they're going to promote Greg Hardy because mm. if it's not this, I mean, there's there are numerous other issues that it's going to get raised when when this guy's fighting. Like he is a figure that is going to turn off a lot of people that will maybe not want to watch a card because he's part of it, and that can get down to a deeper discussion. Like what is the level of redemption that society has for somebody uh do they feel i mean no there, there's no one way to to handle these things and whether you want to look at someone that is coming off of uh sexual allegations uh whether someone's coming off domestic violence allegations in the case of hulk hogan a racist rant what is the acceptable amount of time before someone is able to be assimilated into a specific industry Mm -hmm. because it's not just going to be one conclusion the public is going to make it's going to be divided and you as your as a promoter i think have to make the choice that is going to sit right with the most amount of people there are going to be ones who will never want to watch hulk hogan be a part of a wwe broadcast there are people that will never want to see a louis ck do a stand-up show and he's going through that at the moment and there are people that will never want to watch greg hardy specifically fighting that i think that is another element to this this is not him going out and playing football it's him uh as a heavyweight with enormous power that i think you can't help but have those images in your head and the images are out there of what he did to this woman Mm -hmm. uh and and it's i i just think it's the optics are very difficult on this one but Mm -hmm. the the other side of it is that, hey, it's the charges were dropped. It was several years ago. Does this man not have a right to go out and earn a living? I'm going to throw the link out there uh, for anybody who wants to join our Hangouts. Um, a lot of you guys seem to have uh, opinions on this. So uh, feel free if you want to join us via a video cam or microphone. Just make sure you have a headset. I was informed last week that uh, some of the issues we've been having might be due to people trying to access the link on iOS. You might have difficulty doing that. I believe you need the Google Hangouts app. Even then, it might be a little bit finicky. But uh, I recommend um, getting onto a desktop computer or a laptop and uh, trying to join in that way if you want to. Yeah, I'd love to hear from uh, anyone that wants to call in and chat about any of the news this week. Let's talk a bit about the Dynamite Kid because uh, I wrote quite a bit about it on, yeah, on Wednesday. Thank you. Uh, Way helped me a lot with that as well, that article. Mm, barely. Uh, but we we haven't heard your thoughts, Way, on the Dynamite Kid. First of all, your your introduction to the Dynamite Kid. I mean, his yeah. his era was, you know, before I was watching, uh, all my viewing of the Dynamite Kid came uh pretty much when when his i started watching wrestling in 1992 which was like a month after his his last match before that one off in 96 yep. but it's largely been all through through videotape and and going back and watching his his work me as well i mean um for me i i wasn't around when he was in wwe and as well um even like a lot of his japanese stuff i wouldn't have gotten into until he was fully out of the scene so i i actually the first time i had heard of him was uh as part of um, the law when the law was promoting pure dynamite. So I think I got to know probably, you know, a lot of the more unsavory aspects of his character before I even got to see any of his wrestling work. Um, you know, obviously kind of digging into it, you, you know, you, you look into the amount of influence this man has had on so many of the wrestlers that we ended up watching in our generation, like your Chris Benoit or like the people that Benoit would have influenced, you know, directly, uh, I, I would trace back to the influence of the dynamite. Kid. And it's uncanny to watch those two. And mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Benoit was like a but replica I mean, and that was his goal. But then you also talk about like your Jamie Nobles and your Davy Richards and you see the influence that kind of like tr- trickled down all the way from dynamite. Yep. Um, so there's no, I, I thought you put it perfectly, you know, in, in what you wrote, there's, there's no kind of like, there's, there's no, no one avenue to view this. guy. Well, I think that you have to, in order to, that's him you have to look at all elements i don't think you can divorce one from the other his wrestling is just like really kind of you know his career is, was amazing but everything beyond that is like he's another one of those like I, it's I feel chris like benoit there's so many cases in professional wrestling we just talked about you know this this greg hardy situation yep. where like as a performer people are are one thing but your personal life uh when we talk about a man's death we we can't ignore uh any of those things yeah, it's, yeah. you know, people are not um, always 
simple legacies to break down and assess. You have to ask yourself sometimes a lot of hard questions about um, certain uh, performers and does someone's skill set in one particular realm uh, supersede what they do in their personal life? Mm -hmm. I don't think it does. I think that ultimately when you look at someone's legacy, I think it's um, kind of the opinions that they that are left upon people that uh, Tom Billington is someone that is, I mean, it's a life that I, I think was, you just look at so many different, like this man was a, even in the extreme world of professional wrestling and, and stories you hear to me, like a separate case above and beyond. Like there are some horrifying stories in involving this man involving his, his first wife uh, that she has documented involving other wrestlers that it goes way beyond just pranks or ribbing that I think undersells what this guy was doing to people like causing great harm to individuals and having a sadistic nature about it. He had many, many enemies, but on Wednesday, I mean, clearly his influence in the ring was enormous. And yeah. I think that, there's a whole generation, maybe multiple generations, that drew a lot from Tom Billington, whether directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. um, a few, few people in the chat room are asking, do you think that he would get any tribute in uh, on the WWE, whether in the form of Raw or I would extend that to like a web, you know? He already did on NXT. On oh, Wednesday okay. night, they already had a graphic and a lower third announcing his passing. Gotcha. Um, Beyond I, that, anything? I don't think they're going to go in depth with anything i don't think he'll get a video feature on monday i feel they'll do a graphic at the beginning he was pr a pretty well-known figure especially you know anyone from that 80s time period and and he was you know a significant piece of that mid-80s expansion period that yeah. i think he'll be acknowledged but i don't think they want to go too far down uh with tom billington to overly um eulogize him so certainly not putting them in their hall of fame. I don't think so. I feel that the fact that both have passed away, I think that that's going to be, I can see Davy boy more than. Yeah. Tom Billington for the WWE hall of fame. Is he in the observer hall of fame? Brandon Castro. He was part of the inaugural class oh. in 1996. He went up. Okay. Uh, let's go to our first call. This man is about to have a very busy month with us. Chris Angler. Chris, I am presenting you. Uh, can you? Can you? Hmm. I think you might be muted there. Uh, your video might be muted. Let me just try this. There we go. Um, there we go. Chris, can you just talk for a second just to make sure that we can all hear you? Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Hey. Coming Chris, in beautiful. Chris Angler, how are hey. you doing, man? Really good. How are you guys? Doing very well. Uh, for people who are unaware, Chris is the uh, gentleman who uh, is heavily involved in all of our uh, polls and surveys during the G1. Uh, he is the man who runs it. He runs the Rumble Pool, and he is helping us tabulate uh, our um, best and worst of 2018 category. So, hey, thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. I hope you're ready. Yeah. No, it's, it's always a lot of fun to do those things. And I work with databases and stuff in my day to day, so it's something I like doing. So it's not uh, it's not a hardship by any means. Can you give us a bit of a glimpse into maybe some of the uh, uh, submissions so far? Yeah, I took a look. There's about right before the hangout started. There was about 220 uh, full responses so far. Wow! Wow! Uh, the Google form it's pretty it's pretty cool the way they kind of give you summaries from the start so if it detects patterns like for some of the some of the questions that people tend to answer the same like same thing it gives you the, the ones that are the outliers so one thing that i remember noticing is that the uh, front runner for uh <clears throat> excuse me best promotion uh was nxt hmm. it has a it has about half the votes so far of the wow. assuming everyone voted uh, some of the other ones are are kind of all over the place, like match of the year and favorite episode and things like that. But uh, and the other one that stood out to me was uh, it looks like uh, if if trends continue, Becky Lynch is probably a shoe in for the listeners choice for female wrestler of the year. Probably not a big surprise. No surprise. No surprise there. Well, what would you want to chat about, Chris? 
Uh, I wanted to give some poll updates there, or some of the updates there. So you kind of already did that. Um, yeah, I appreciate your thoughts on Dynamite Kid. He was always somebody like he was instrumental when I got into wrestling. Like the British Bulldogs were my favorite tag team, and the tag team of all my, the favorite tag team of most of my friends in in middle school. So he was definitely somebody that I held in high regard. And it's always tough when you hear about the dark side of some of your your, your heroes, particularly childhood heroes. But I, I think it's important to a certain extent that when you're looking back on people to to separate people's work from from who they are outside of their work. Because, I mean, I mean, who, who of any of us would, would look pristine if our whole lives were up on display? And that's not to excuse any of the egregious things that a guy like Tom Billington did. But I think I think there's a value to you know, when you're looking back on someone, not to excuse what they did, but to still be able to enjoy and celebrate their body of work. Yeah. And I think people can do that. I think people can separate the the man from the performer. I, I don't begrudge anyone that goes back and enjoys Tom Billington matches. But I think that when, when someone passes on, I think that it is a duty for those that are going to document their life that you have to put all of it out there. It can't just be... Sure that we throw out the bad and just present, you know, a glowing uh, portrait uh, that wouldn't be fair to the, the story of that particular individual. And this was a guy that uh, to himself put himself out there in his own book. He does not come off well in his own book. Uh, he, you know, not to say he included every particular story and, and what went down in his life, a very troubled life, but I think it's a it's quite the glimpse into uh, the very dark side of professional wrestling that he had really no qualms about sharing his amount of drug use that he did not skirt around and his overall demeanor towards people like this comes across as a man that had very few friends in the industry, had a very short list of men that he respected, that he wrestled with, that he worked with, and generally had a pretty dismal view of those around him. And inflicting harm upon them for his own enjoyment. Uh, he he didn't really dance around that. No, and I think when people like that are, you know, significantly authentic about what they did, that makes it easier to accept, you know, seeing them in a in in some aspects positive. Like we, when you contrast it with Hulk Hogan, I mean, I don't detect a lot of authentic. I mean, not to say that. Hulk Hogan's done things on par with what Billington did, but I mean, I don't detect a lot of authenticity in terms of how Hogan is presenting himself in the wake of that scandal. I mean, I think it's very much just, it, it strikes me as somebody that's just looking to do whatever they can to get back into the public eye and be, be viewed favorably as opposed to some kind of sincere reflection on what they've done. Whereas Billington's book, like you said, I mean, it, it, he probably didn't detail everything, but he was, not trying to whitewash his life. Yeah. And also, I mean, you read that book, he's pretty unapologetic about what he did in his life and things that were, I mean, the, the you know, really frightening story that came out years later when uh, Fighting Spirit magazine interviewed his first wife was her having a gun held to her head. And he was asked about this and his defense, he was, it was not uh, this act of apology. It was, well, the gun wasn't loaded. That was his, you know, defense yeah. of this. And it was, you know, the guy didn't deny it. He accepted it. But, you know, that was his defense. And that's kind of a glimpse into what it, what his mindset was. So, you know, again, a very, very complicated figure to look back on. And I think you can have, it's okay to have many different viewpoints on, on how you view somebody. And sometimes uh, it's it's a dance you do that is the art you enjoy versus the reality when, when the lights go off and, and who this person is in between uh, all of these, you know, public forums that they perform in. I think when you see somebody making an excuse like that, that just confirms that you're, you're dealing with a broken individual. You're not dealing with somebody that's entirely rational. And again, it's not an excuse, but you just, you know what you're getting when you get that kind of explanation. Yep. It's, a very interesting philosophy to look at how he uh, specific to his wrestling career, that here was a guy that went all out in order to be the best at his industry. And he understood he was mortgaging his body probably 
earlier than he thought it would give out on him. But by 33, he was done. And before he was 40, he was in a wheelchair. And you go back and watch his matches and how hard he went and diving headbutts to the floor where he was just punishing his knees and wrecked his back by 1986 and should have been done by 1986 and still continued to wrestle uh, beyond that with the WWF, with Stampede, with All Japan. Uh, I mean, he was a guy that his he put his body through a meat grinder by the time he was 33 years old. And I think on the back end, I mean, that's kind of, you look at his book and he professes that he has no regrets about any of it, but he paid an enormous physical toll for what was a relatively short window that he had in professional wrestling from 19. He had a 15 year career and he was done. I still remember maybe to end on something a little more positive. I still remember so clearly coming to school. I believe I was in grade nine, the Monday morning after seeing on afternoon wrestling, the heart foundation beat the bulldogs for the titles. And my friends and I were just a, like just, really mad that they lost but be like incredulous at the fact that we saw a title change on uh on saturday on us like sunday afternoon wrestling it was just like i i i remember exactly where i was when having those conversations and so Hmm. it was uh for me he he you know there are some some good memories associated with him too well chris thanks so much for the call we appreciate all your help with the uh the year-end awards and i know we'll be chatting with you in the near future yep and Merry Christmas, you guys. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you Thanks as well. Lot, Chris. So um, in terms of uh, matches way, I mean, are you someone that has gone back and watched a lot of the Tiger Mask series? And I mean, was Dynamite Kid someone that you did follow a lot of uh, in tape form? Or... Honestly, honestly, no. I, I think by the time I even got into it, like those matches, uh, I, I do consider maybe required viewing for anybody who really wants to step in deeply into it. But um I, I, I think they largely, a lot of it has kind of escaped me. That was one of the first comp tapes I ever bought off high spots was a best of dynamite kid tape when I was around 17 years old Mm -hmm. and it had tiger mask on there. I mean, it was just, it was like a four hour collection of matches between new Japan, all Japan and stampede. Yeah. I, I think I'm always like somewhat, um, you know, amazed at like the amount of influence he would have had just just in in their WWE run, uh, where I mean, you see like Chris, you know, like in in our chat room, just kind of looking back at so many fond memories he and his friends had. Our friend John Ramdean also would constantly talk about the Bulldogs and how how much he loved the the the, the that's the right two of them together. So I guess I'm, I'm I'm you know beyond like all of his influences in Japan, which is I think what I largely know him for. Um, that WWE run he had with Davy Boy seemed like it was very influential for a great number of people as well. I think you can also look at one thing that, I mean, there, there's the one side that you can look at that style that, I mean, Dynamite Kid is an extreme example of the style, but that is much closer to what modern day wrestling is. That style that has essentially been yep. adopted and in some cases, even built upon. And that's kind of scary when you see the end result of one case. And again, Billington is an extreme one that, I mean, there were a lot of factors to why he ended up the way he did, but it is concerning at the same time of what the body is capable of. Mm. I will say that his enormous steroid abuse, I do feel that's something that is curtailed now that Mm. the pressure Tom Billington had from a guy that when he, was about 16 years old, was 165 pounds and couldn't get above 180 natural. He got his way up to 225 on steroids that I don't think that that same kind of pressure is there on mm. performers today. That if you are, I think that there still is a, an inherent pressure on size, but not to the degree of even 10 years ago. Certainly. And that's a positive. Yeah, I feel like by by, by this era, I, I would hope that, you know, many so many of, of stories uh, of these stories have come out, including, you know, I'm sure Dynamite's book being um, a, a front runner for, you know, what not to do or not how to spend your career for so many of these current generation wrestlers that they would. It's essential reading for that. Yeah. I think that's a book that as much it's fine if you're a fan that wants to learn about a really dark element of the industry, but 
of people that want to become wrestlers. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty solid cautionary tale from somebody that is an example of somebody who, yes, extremely influential, but hopefully influential through that book of what to avoid. Yeah. It seems like there's consequences are at the end of it. I mean, it seems like wrestling's history is filled with cautionary tales. And uh, I, I I mean, just kind of knowing what we know about the current crop of wrestlers who don't aren't doing the drugs and are hopefully staying very clean in terms of, uh, you know, their body. um, I would hope that they would take the elements that were so great about this man's life and career and discard the ones that weren't so great. Yeah. One thing I want to mention, I didn't get to in my article is that pure dynamite, which again, it's, it came out in the fall of 1999. It was, I think it was out within a month. No, there it is. Yes. It's been sitting there this whole time. Look at this. It's even, uh, it's even signed. Wow. I have a stack of these actually. Um, Is that if you've seen, uh, when High Spots did their special on Dynamite Kid, you can see the Kickstarter preview on YouTube. I think they've actually made the entire three and a half interview free up on YouTube that you can watch with Dynamite Kid. This guy is not a very, um, like, he's not a great interview. Mm. Like, when you hear him talk, like, he's very just quick to the point and doesn't elaborate a lot. And, I mean, one of the people that doesn't get a lot of credit for this book is the journalist he worked with. Uh, named Allison Coleman, who, I mean, this is a very well-written book. (laughs) And I think that after seeing some of the Dynamite Kid interviews that I've heard over the years, I think she deserves an enormous amount of praise and would be an interesting person to know what her relationship was like with Tom Billington, Mm -hmm. because this was a very small release in England. I remember sending away for this, uh, sending like a money order to a PO box to get it delivered from England to get the book. And it was only in 2001 that it got more widely distributed uh, in North America um, through, I think it was Random House that started uh, producing it in Canada and the US and it got more widely available. Interesting. What, what would you say of you know the feedback that you've heard so far just uh, just on, on Dynamite's death itself? How would you kind of, you know, like are people talking about all those elements or is it largely focused on his in-ring career? The general sentiment I've seen is nobody denies he's one of, their favorite wrestlers of all time that if you are just viewing it in that lens, he is among the best talents you've, you've ever seen. But I don't think, I I don't sense that there are a lot of people who are just naive to the fact that this was a very, very troubled and broken individual that Mm -hmm. caused a lot of havoc and harm on people's lives from those around him. So I think that most people understand that balance and, and you don't see a whole lot of like, I thought yesterday that there was going to be a lot of pushback of, you know, demeaning someone after they've died. And that's certainly, I don't think anyone's intent, but I think that it's, it's just completely, you can't ignore Mm -hmm. what this guy's life was. Mm -hmm. That, that to me is just impossible to do. And I mean, he was upfront about it himself. He was. And, you know, beyond the book, like there was, like even worse stuff. Like it was just like the story with his wife. And it's like, who knows how much other stuff Mm -hmm. Um, it just seemed like, and had what sounds like just a horrendous last number of years. He was in a dementia ward in getting full-time care by the end of it. He had had part of his foot amputated. He had a stroke back in 2013. A doctor had told him he had scars on his heart from his heavy steroid abuse. And he was just somebody that, I mean, it is a very sad parallel with Chris Benoit, who was, you know, somebody that these are two guys that I think pushed their limits well beyond the the limit that mm-hmm. any performer should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Benoit, the the story was that the year when he had his neck surgery, he did not get off steroids that year. Like you would think you're off the road, you're off TV, that you cycle off. And he just stayed and didn't cycle off. Mm. And it was just, he just seemed like he was a very everything to the extreme kind of individual. And I think that those two are two tragic tales in professional wrestling. As much as you can marvel at their skills, I think they're looked at as, you know, tragic tales. And Mm -hmm. I I think that really supersedes any great professional wrestling match that they had. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of been the feedback. Um, I know Bret Hart put out um, a statement calling Dynamite Kid the best pound for pound wrestler he's ever seen his daughter uh, Bronwyn 
uh, put out a really nice statement about getting to see him for the first time in like 15 years um, back in like 2009, 2010, and said that she's aware of the people that had very negative opinions of her father, but said she never saw that side of him, but also was not very close. Mm -hmm. Like Dynamite Kid in 1991, his marriage falls apart. Um, his wife, Michelle, is pregnant with their third child. And his story was he leaves $30,000 there. And his wife was prepared to kill herself and her kids just to get away from the man. That's how bad it was. And ended up getting a one-way ticket for him to send him back to England. And that was that was kind of his departure uh, from the family until, I guess, reconnecting with his children years later. It's a very, very wow. just sad life that it that it was for this this individual. Um, hmm. So anyway, that is uh, the Dynamite Kid, which we have our story up on the site. If you want to go uh, check that out, as well, the WWE held a well, the XFL held a press conference just the other day to announce their eight teams uh, that were kind of had been leaked out already. But this was an interesting press conference just to hear as they go forward with this, they will have teams playing in New York at MetLife stadium. So much like the WWE um, MetLife stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey is considered New York. Close enough. They have a real disdain for New Jersey. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not as, uh, I guess it doesn't sound as really. sexy as New York. Even like back in the original XFL, weren't there uh, weren't, the New it? York, New Jersey hitmen? Yes. They had the right. slash. Yes. Uh, Dallas. They'll play at globe life park. Houston at TD ECU Stadium, St. Louis at the Dome at America Center, Los Angeles at the StubHub Center, Seattle, CenturyLink Field, Tampa Bay at Raymond James Stadium, and Washington, D.C. at Audi Field. Uh, some of the, like, MetLife Stadium, we've been to, Way. Mm -hmm. Like, that's enormous. That's an enormous stadium. That 82,500. <laughs> I mean, but these are all like we're talking football stadiums for the most part for all of these. Some yeah. of these are Audi Field, I think, you know, the smallest one at 20,000, but all all pretty substantial. I mean, if we're talking football. Significant. I guess probably the thinking is that these are like renting MetLife Stadium during an off season. Mm -hmm. um, you wonder if they've been able to, to strike any kind of yeah. agreements where, uh, I mean, the governor of New Jersey was at this press conference. So mm -hmm. that tells me that I'm sure that, you know, there's some kickback or yeah. a reason that they're involved here, that it can make some financial sense for them. Yeah. Ultimately this league, it will succeed or fail based on what kind of television deal they get and how much money it's mm -hmm. not going to be based off of filling stadiums and much yeah. like WWE, they're not making it off the live event ticket. They are making it off of distribution rights. The markets to me seem pretty, you know, um, I guess somewhat uh, standard and, and expected. You know, you're hitting all your major media outlets in LA and New York and uh, two in Texas, two in Texas. Um, yeah, nothing really kind of out of the ordinary there. Uh, two days. Uh, we have two shows left for the World Tag League tournament that New Japan has on. They will have a show Friday and then they wrap up Sunday. The Tag League is down to we have a four way tie on top with the Gorillas of Destiny, Evil and Sonata, Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano, and the Killer Elite Squad, all with 18 points, and Michael Elgin and Jeff Cobb with 16. So the winner of this tournament traditionally gets the tag title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. And I can see some angles being set up on Sunday for Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. I think that there's a really good chance that Kota Bushi defeats, uh, defeats Goto for the never open weight title. Mm -hmm. And it would make sense that Will Ospreay makes the challenge. Yep. Um, so do, you, that, do, you think, do you think the Bucks will be involved in the, uh, the tag team uh, match at Wrestle Kingdom? I guess they could be. Yeah. Yeah, one team on. wins this tournament, I mean, and then the Bucks just walk in and get a title shot well, too. I think that's very possible. We know that they're they're going to be on that. They're show. on Sunday show. Yeah, so um, in theory, they should be shooting should an angle have for Wrestle match. Kingdom because yeah. they have nothing. Uh, Juice and Cody isn't official yet for mm -hmm. Wrestle Kingdom. I could see them doing something there. Yep. So I, I think Sunday show will be at least noteworthy of trying to put the remaining pieces in place for Wrestle Kingdom for your main matches. How do you feel like about the hype going into Wrestle Kingdom this year uh, at this time versus years past? I think it's pretty big. Um, you know, tickets are selling uh, apparently ahead of last year's pace, which had the benefit of Chris Jericho's first match mm -hmm. um, with Kenny Omega. So this year, I think that there's a lot of anticipation for the show. I, th I think a lot of people are traveling for this show. Yep. I think it's going to do better than last year's show. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say uh, year by year, it seems like New Japan stock is just you know, on a worldwide scale is, is growing. So I wouldn't expect it to do worse than last year. I, I'll say maybe this year, I think, you know, last year, the hook of Jericho versus Omega was such a uh, was was to me, to a North American, I think bigger than anything that's on the card this year. Um, but nonetheless, like I would assume that most people watching New Japan at this point are very familiar with uh, all, all the talent that's going in. And I think trust in wrestle kingdom as a brand itself for like delivering you know one of the best shows of the year is it, it has, has it is there pretty strongly i would say for anybody watching it to me it really does feel like it's on the level of wrestlemania right now where you even if you're only dabbling in new japan this is the one show you're going to go out of your way to watch and um there was an interesting story in today's observer from dave Meltzer that among the people they have their eye on is kushida Mm-hmm. who is the current junior heavyweight champion whose contract is up with New Japan at the, the end of January. Yeah, among the people that WWE has their eye on. Yeah. Yes, WWE. I mean, I find that really interesting. You know, like of all the talent that's available in Japan, um, I, I I actually would put Kushida up at the top. Like, I'd love to see him in, in, in the WWE. We know he, like, you've spoken English with him, so, like, you've kind of been able to yeah. gauge his, his level of, of English-speaking ability. Um, and for what it's worth, uh, Dave added that he's not the only one they have their eye on. Right. So okay. it's interesting. Well, I mean, do you do you okay, let's let's just kind of play this through. Where do you see Kushida fitting in the WWE landscape? I think he would go through NXT. I think yes. that's pretty much likely. Now on the main roster, he is at this point somewhat undersized compared to, you know, like even compared to New Japan talent. So how would he fare in the main roster? I, I think if you I think, like, imagine that main event mix on SmackDown. If yeah. You, if you were throwing him in there. Now, that's with complete confidence that you're... I would have no qualms about Kushida going in and tearing it up with with Brian, with Styles, with Andrade, yeah. with, with several performers. Yeah, I would not hesitate in the slightest. But if they're going in half and half of like, oh, like having your reservations about him... Yeah, I could see him totally just toiling away hmm. and and not making a big impact. But even in NXT, like that's, I I think that there's a major explosion of call ups that are probably going to happen between now and the week or two after WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. That it should hopefully free up some space in NXT. But I mean, him and Kyle O'Reilly being reunited, yeah. I think that's that's awesome. a fantastic. But reunion. just just to think of a, a, a putting Kashida in the mix with any of those guys down there, him and, and Matt Riddle, him and Keith Lee, you oh, know, it's like crazy. It it'll be yeah, it could be really great. So, uh, I mean, at the same time, like, how do you think the New Japan will take this threat of potentially losing one of their top juniors? Do you think the that they would make do anything different with him? Well, earlier this week when we were talking about uh, the the about MLW about all of these promotions. I think more and more we're going to see exclusive contracts for a lot of the top talent. And in the case of New Japan, I think they're going to need to be locking these guys up to to longer term deals and not having them coincide so closely to your big show Mm -hmm. that, you know, January, you're able to scoop up. And I know with some of them that they have adjusted this, but I feel like your core guys, you want to lock up long term. And that's not just for New Japan. That's Mm -hmm. for others as well that you have that kind of protection. And I think I think two years from now, the idea of top flight talent being able to work several different promotions of note and on different televisions, mm-hmm. I think that may be going by the wayside. Yeah. Where exclusive contracts are going to be what these promoters are going to push for. And is there going to be any pushback from talent or are they just going to sign? Um, it's going to cost them to sign exclusive, but I think the promoters are going to need to be looking at that. In the case of Kashida, I feel like it's for him. It's it's probably you know more so. Uh, for my questions are are creatively, where does he go? Because you know he he can stay a junior heavyweight all he wants, but like the next challenge for him as a creative as an artist is it to stay in that junior junior heavyweight division, or is it to go up to to the WWE, or uh, do you try to bug New Japan to push your, your, yourself as a heavyweight at that point? Do you realize that? there's a potential that we could be watching Kenta versus Kushida on 205 live. Of course it is. Yeah. That's what I'm afraid of. That's the worst thing. You know, I'd like somebody, I look at somebody like Akira Tozawa as like incredibly like talented. Cedric Alexander, Car- Mustafa Ali, that chair is loaded. Yeah. Charismatic too. You know, these are guys that can promo as well. 
And unfortunately, they're, they're still uh, caught in this island. And that's kind of like, you know, I don't even want to call it the worst case scenario because at the very least, they're probably making money, you know, and and doing pretty well for themselves. But I wouldn't want to see Kushida on 205 Live. And that, I mean, this isn't a, a direct um, comparison, but I think that is the fear of what's going on in the UK scene at the moment yeah. is the WWE stockpiling talent. And I know that those that are with NXT UK, uh, they're just, hey, the scene is great here. This is great for the performers and stop being so alarmist. And maybe they'll, history will prove them to be right. But the concern is that you stockpile all this talent. It's like, is... You're putting it, them on a different 205 Live. Is... is right? Is Kenta doing anything of note on 205 Live? And conversely, is Noah suffering because a Kenta is not over there? So yeah. when you're signing all this talent and you're drying up other places, that talent could be utilized better elsewhere. Mm-hmm. The question comes down to fi- financially as well. Yeah. Are, uh, I'm sure Kenta is not complaining about what he's making at the moment, but is he creatively satisfied? I think that would be an easy question to answer mm. at this time in well, his career. We don't know, though. We don't know. Because like, what's the alternative? Let's say he stays in Noah. Then what does he do? How far does he move there? Right. I think he'd be a really intriguing commodity on the U.S. open market today if he were ever to leave. Uh, yeah. Maybe I, I I don't think he'd have trouble uh, booking himself now that he's over in the U.S. Uh, with other promotions today. Um, that he would. This guy is not earning top level money in WWE. Right. On that note, Shinjiro Otani was just announced. Yes, I want for... to end with this. Yeah. Uh, he has been added to the collective. Uh, he's going to be working a Game Changer show, which I guess will either be Spring Break or the Bloodsport show. I would imagine Spring Break, but they haven't stated that. He's going to do AI Wrestling, which is April 4th at midnight, and Nova Pro Wrestling on the Saturday, April 6th at noon. And yeah, those are all going down at White Eagle Hall in Jersey City. And yeah, we've got to get out to one of those shows. Yeah, these were shows that, that really weren't on my radar. Uh, what is The Collective? So... These are all the shows that are happening at Jersey City, which is the venue that is hosting Spring Break. Okay. So that's the big show happening there. But all of the shows are under this umbrella that they're working together gotcha. to, out of the same venue. That's AIW, GCW, and this... Uh, B- there's multiple. There's like six or seven companies that are under this banner. So is so there's going to be WWN. Um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, WrestleCon? Is that... Yeah, happening as well. Russell Khan is we, going down at the the Hilton. Then we've got the collective. Those, the collective. Are, those are like the big three indie groups. Yeah, MLW is running back to back nights. Impact's doing a show with House of Glory. That's out in Jamaica, Queens. I mean, there, there's a lot of shows right. going on, but wow. those are some of the the major decision decisions. What do you, you, have to what make. Do you think of uh, of like a guy like like we're at the point now where like a Shinjiro Otani is a major attraction, you know, for for a, a, a wrestling weekend. Uh, I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing. I'm- I think the draw is just getting to see somebody that you've read about, that you've watched yeah. for so many years, getting to see that person live. Mm-hmm. That's the draw. Much beyond, much like Sasuke last year. No yeah. one was coming to spring break to see this guy turn back the clock to 1994. They were just coming to see this guy in the flesh. And I think the same is with Otani. You're not going to get the Otani of 99. Yeah. But. I would love to go see Shinjiro Otani. Yeah, same with Onita appearing at Spring Break. That I mean, that's on I, the same, probably the same day. To be honest, Otani. I think Junakiyama is missing the boat, but he's coming over for uh, these All Japan tryouts yeah. uh, in California in March. It's like, dude, him doing a show over WrestleMania weekend. Guy's finally coming to the U.S. He's never been over here, yeah. and he's going to do a small show in California. As a, see, I wonder where the where the, what the threshold is, and what 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 it takes for like you know people to actually see somebody on the level of like a major attraction versus like because like we've we see like Marafuji on Impact, and it doesn't really matter at all. Could you would attract the same audience if he had you know done one of these indie shows? I don't know. Some guys seem incredibly special; other guys don't. It does. There is something to the setting that they are coming into yeah and i don't know what it is but you're right with with impact there is something there that is missing um that if they're not playing to that same audience like an impact audience wouldn't really know you know or care about uh, kenta or or sinjiro otani if he appeared right yeah and i don't know if that's uh, a residual effect of how they t- how the the previous management handled talent from 
from other countries hmm. or if it's just that they don't put them in interesting scenarios it's like the creative is not a, an issue at the moment in impact i think that there is more faith in the company now than there was five years ago but i think that there's still a disconnect with the public and and impact i'm just trying to think who who among that like list of like you know japanese talent that you could promote in the same fashion in the future like it's got to uh, be names from the past at this point that yeah. uh would be coming over to to do shows because you've seen so many of them come over like there's no one special in new japan that just their appearance is going to generate like a, a kenta kobashi like yeah. appearance with Mu- joe is doing the shows too muda's on those impact uh house of oh, glory right, shows okay. yep. yeah he's coming over masato tanaka's coming over uh onita's coming over mm. so wow that seems to be the the in vogue uh, thing, and MLW is going to be announcing the main event of their first night uh, next week. They're going to hold a press conference to announce the uh, the main event. So cool, they'll be announcing that, and I think that is going to wrap things up. Yeah, we're going about fifty minutes here on this uh, cafe hangout. Thank you to all of you guys who uh, tuned in t- to us live. Thank you to Chris Angler for for calling in. Um, I hope to uh, see you guys all next week, and uh, for those of you watching on the YouTube. Uh, should we put this on the audio feed? A lot of people have been asking us. It's your call. All right. Like yeah, we'll throw this up on the audio feed then. So if you're listening to the audio feed, uh, the Cafe Hangouts occur every Thursday at 3 p.m. for $12 and above patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So uh, do check that out. And if you want to watch this, you can go on Facebook. Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. YouTube. Oh, yeah. YouTube, too. Getting confused. Uh, you can go there. Yeah. Once again, uh, Friday, we've got a new Rewind Away out. If you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, uh, chatting SummerSlam 2013, really entertaining show. Saturday, we've got a new Eggshells out. Late Saturday night, I'll have a UFC 231 review. And on Sunday, Wei Ting and I are back on the Post Wrestling Cafe with a post show coming out of the final day of the World Tag League and whatever is going on. You know that show, it starts at 1 a.m. It's going really? fi- to start right after UFC, which I'm going to record a show, but I'm kind of tempted to just watch it. I don't think you'll make it, dude. You're I don't gonna, think I will. You're either. not going to make it to that main event. No, I'll way. tell you though. Watching an event at 1 a.m. is way easier than a early Sunday morning. It's true for it's me, true. at least. But John and I will probably record that show some somewhere uh, early, uh, late morning, late morning on, yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, it'll be up uh, in the afternoon. The show. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks everyone for listening, watching. We'll speak with you. But by the way, did you oh. know Brandon from New Jersey is in this chat room right now? He. He does not uh, uh, chat in the chat room with the same flair, I have to say. Oh, as, as We, we don't get the full meanderings? <laughs> no, we don't get meanderings in chat rooms. Step it up, Brandon. Step <laughs> it up. Okay. Talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.